Well, I guess we send a thank you card to Dale DeGray in Owen Sound for ensuring that the big news of this week came down just before we decided to record this episode. Last week, we were about, I don't know, 24, 36 hours behind on the three-way trade that saw Benjamin Godreau become a member of the Erie Otters. We'll get to that, but obviously, Dan Mahar, we're starting with the coaching change and a surprising one at that up at the Bayshore. A 4-2-1 and one start, and despite that, Greg Walters fired as head coach of the Owen Sound Attack. Yeah, it goes to show how there's different standards in different organizations. I, a 4-2-1 and one start wouldn't really be cause for concern in most areas, but of course, Owen Sound expecting big things this year. And, you know, I think, Mike, without knowing a lot about what's going on, I read the uh, Greg Cowan article in the Owen Sound Sun-Times on it and some of the statements from Dale DeGray, and it sounds like there was all was not well in the summer at the end of last year. There were some red flags that that, and I think one of the red flags, obviously, bringing a guy like Darren Rumble as an assistant coach suggests, you know, the might be a coach in waiting already, but, uh, but yeah, Dale DeGray mentioned wasn't thrilled with um, what he was seeing from the style the team was playing and that he had had a chat over the summer with Walters and wanted to see some things that he wasn't seeing. So pulled that uh, trigger pretty quickly. Yeah. That's the thing that stands out to me too, obviously as Dale DeGray alluded to without going into any detail, but there were some long-standing issues and it was a an accumulation of things I suppose that ultimately led to this what makes me curious is the timing this is the second coach now dismissed in the first three weeks of the season we're not even 10 games in but we're two coaches out obviously Ted Dent and Flint and we've talked about that bit of a strange situation there obviously a horrible start for the Firebirds Ted Dent relieved after the well parted ways we still aren't sure nobody said fired or resigned we're assuming from the language that the firebirds used in the announcement best of luck in your future endeavors that ted dent was let go 19 goals against only three four in their first weekend but it was just so early and one was wondering but you also look at flint and say well if strange things are happening in the ontario hockey league oftentimes they're happening in flint which has just been a uh, a strange place from time to time since Rolf Nilsson took over. So anyway, back to Owen Sound and, and the stability there really is what makes this timing so odd, a, a good start for the hockey club. And I just wonder why Dale DeGray didn't get this done in the summer and just not even bother starting the season with somebody he clearly wasn't overly comfortable with. One of the other things that jumped out to me was the quote. I read that same piece from Greg Cowan in the Owen Sound Sun Times and one of the quotes from DeGray, our vision for how we best maximize our current roster is not aligned. Now, I don't want to go too Hollywood on you. I haven't read Billy Bean's book, Moneyball, but the movie, that certainly seemed to be the friction between Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, and uh, Art Howe, played by the, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman, where Philip Seymour Hoffman, as Art Howe, was saying, listen, you get the players. I decide how they get played. That's my resume I'm putting out there. So with Dale and, and Dale DeGray has been around long enough. Like it almost sounds like he wants to be the coach here. And I know he, I'm, I'm confident he doesn't want to do that, but if he's got this vision that the coach wasn't implementing with the current roster, I don't know. That seems to me like you're crossing streams. The GM has a job, the coach has a job and you kind of hire the person to do one or the other. Yeah, and you know, Dale DeGray also had a quote in that article as well, Mike, where he said, you know, if he feels like at some time it's going to happen, better to do it quickly, rip the Band-Aid off was the term he used. And 
that seems to be logical, but doesn't necessarily jive with what actually happened because clearly to dismiss a coach this early in the season, the may have been hanging by a thread going in and he referenced the talks they had in the summer. So obviously there was some tension and friction there that we don't know the story behind, but there's usually a premise that you want your coach to have the full training camp, full season, et cetera. So if you have any inkling that this is not your guy or things aren't going to go well, make the move early enough that you give the coach that opportunity. Cause now someone coming in training camp has just ended coming in a couple games into the season. That's a much taller ask. Now, obviously Darren Rumble's been there and he's taking over at least on an interim basis. So you maybe bridge that gap a little, but yeah, it's just a little bit bizarre, Mike. It's not usually what we see happening when these coaches are obviously hanging by a thread at the start of the season um, to see it happen so quickly. I would imagine that I know it's only been announced so far that the assistants, including Darren Rumble take over for now. I I would be surprised if it's not Darren Rumble who ultimately gets named the head coach here. Obviously the experience in the American hockey league and many years in the Quebec league. I don't think Darren Rumble comes to Owen sound necessarily as an assistant with at least without at least some idea that there's a head coaching possibility at some point, I would venture to guess this is not the way he wanted that opportunity to come about, but nonetheless, here we are. The timing is odd, but they've got, as you called him already, a head coach in waiting in Darren Rumble. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Mike, actually, when he was announced as an assistant coach in Owen Sound, my first thought was, well, it's interesting. He wants to come to Owen Sound to take an assistant coach job based on his resume. So things didn't quite add up in my head at the time. But yeah, I think going forward, Obviously, with his resume, uh, it'd be a bit of a slap in the face if he weren't the next in line to take that position on a permanent basis, even though it's just uh, interim at the point at this point. And I know uh, Dale DeGray said that uh, he's interested to see who comes out of the woodwork and referenced he had several emails within 30 minutes of the announcement of people expressing interest. And this seems to be what always happens in these markets, especially the uh, the franchises that are fairly well run and do well. They get lots of interest. So so we'll see. But again, I'd be shocked if it's not Darren Rumble. Well, I'll just add one more thing to that, Dan, and that is the interest may be coming because I, for what it's worth, uh, thought that this Owen Sound team would be giving the London Knights a run for their money in the Midwest division this year. It's a good-looking team as far as I'm concerned. It's got the pieces in place. Carter George, small sample size, early returns, seemed to be, you know, just got his first shutout, etc. But I, I think this Owen Sound team is a good team. I'll just put it that way to keep it short. And who wouldn't want to get the chance to be behind the bench with some players like this and a chance to make a pretty good run in your first season as head coach. So there's that to add to it too. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, all fair points for sure. And I think, you know, when you're, you try and read between the lines and deduce what it is that, that they weren't agreeing upon DeGray and, and Walters, and then talked about the style. I, I know Greg Walters likes a little bit rough and tumble, a little bit of a physical game, um, gets into the scrums a fair bit. So I don't know if that's what ruffled the feathers. I know that sometimes the defensive play has been called into question of late and they certainly were not happy with how things ended in the OHL playoffs last year. So it could do a lot of guessing. Sometimes it just comes down to how much they want to give uh, the rookies in terms of ice time, the younger players. Um, It could be any one of those things, but I think a few of them were probably on the table here. And obviously uh, there was a philosophical difference. Off the top of my head, I believe we counted 10 different coaching changes through the offseason, this past offseason, and now two already as the new season is just three weeks old. Okay, from three weeks old to the three-way trade, who does not love a good old-fashioned three-way swap? And that's what the Sarnia Sting, Erie Otters, and Saginaw Spirit 
got involved in. First, Sarnia, I got to get my S's right here. Sarnia sends Benjamin Godreau to the Erie Otters for Nolan Lalonde and three picks, a third, a fourth, and a sixth. And then they promptly turn around and send Nolan Lalonde and a seventh over to Saginaw in exchange for a fifth round pick. So when the dust settles, obviously the Sarnia Sting decide Benjamin Godreau's services are no longer needed here with our rebuilding club. We'll recoup some assets. He goes to Erie, by the way, shout out to you, Dan. I guess you have a personal connection to Dave Brown, the GM there in Erie, because you said last week that maybe the one area the Otters would like to shore up is in goal. They go out and do just that within 24 hours or so of our last episode coming out. And then the Saginaw Spirit are able to add another netminder and the Sarnia Sting put a bunch of draft picks back in the cupboard. So it looks like all three teams come away winners in this one. Yeah, I particularly like it from Erie's standpoint. Uh, you knew going in, you just look at the composition of that front office. You got you bring in Stan Butler, who's notorious for liking a defensively sound structured team. So you can build that into your play, but it can get sunk in an awful hurry if you're not getting the saves. And this is a team that absolutely has to make the playoffs this year uh, based on recent performance and some of the high-end picks they've had. Uh, this is a big year for, we know, for Malcolm Spence. They've, they've Martin Misiak comes in the import draft. You've got some talent there for sure. Kerry Tarrant, you know, I love. So a lot of these guys are, are ready to take a leap forward. And the, the start was going to be pivotal. They give Lalonde a little bit of a shot. They know there's a bit of a market there for overage goalies to, to move. And probably Ben Godreau is the, uh, is the cream of the crop there. So they probably eyed him for a while. So I, I love that they jumped pulled the trigger, shored that up, and I see I, they're getting some returns already. Yeah, certainly are. 67 saves on 70 shots against for Benjamin Godreau, and the Otters pick up back-to-back wins upon his acquisition. They've lost since, but exactly what they needed there in Pennsylvania. So on the other side of things, I, I first was a little bit surprised that Saginaw Spirit wouldn't want to go out and add a goalie, the caliber of Benjamin Godreau and all of his experience. And then it popped into my head first. Well, Benjamin Godreau didn't get past the London Knights last season. Saginaw is going to want to do that this season. But then you scratch even further below the surface and you realize, ah, hang on a second. The Saginaw spirit have themselves three pretty darn fine overagers as it is in Dean Locus, Braden Hache and Roberto Mancini. So I don't think that you even really have the room. You're probably not even considering a Godreau-like. And and if I'm being honest with you, having seen him twice already with personal viewings this season, I've personally got no issues with Andrew Oak in goal. So again, that's why I say this looks like it's wins across the board. You get a little bit more stability in net with Lalonde, and you're not going to mess with that trio of overagers, at least not as far as I can tell. No, and I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the incumbents there, especially uh, Mancini and Hache on D. They they need those components. Those are not guys that are going anywhere. If anything, I could see them adding another piece on the back end before the year is out to try and really bolster that back end because we know Saginaw can run and gun. They want to be able to keep that puck out of the net. So whether or not they're comfortable with Andrew Oak over time, I, I felt for a while they're going to give it some time. I don't know that they're really pushing the panic button there yet either. And there's still probably a couple options on the table. But yeah, it wasn't going to be an overage or a ton seat, those guys. It's interesting you talk about Saginaw and adding, which of course is the conventional wisdom, because despite having a good regular season last year and maybe being able to make some noise, they decided they were going to be sellers at the trade deadline 
add those draft picks. And we know a team that is going to be the host of the Memorial Cup always does everything in its power to ensure it goes in through the front door as the host and doesn't kind of back in, as we say. Here's something, though, that I was considering when we talk about things like that. Yeah, the Saginaw spirit they're going to be adding. Let me just read off a list of names to you for a minute, Dan. Uh, Brennan Othman, Brett Harrison, Shane Wright, Danny Jilkin, Ryan Humphrey, Ryan Winterton, Francesco R. Curry, Christian Cairo, Sasha Pastajov, Luca Del Bell Belouz, Ethan Del Mastro, Owen Beck, Logan Morrison, Pavel Minchikov, a former Saginaw Spirit. I read all of those names off because those were names that were traded last year. I defy you, frankly, and I mean no disrespect to anybody in the league today. Go find me another one of those. What We can talk about Saginaw adding all we want. Who the hell are they adding? Who's out there this year? We certainly don't have a list like that, which will be moving anytime between now and the trade deadline on January 10th. No, I mean, we had a historic arms race last year. Let's be honest. There was eight teams that felt they were contenders. It's rare to see. Uh, Historically, in these years when the OHL is hosting the Memorial Cup, and there's two births for OHL teams, you do get a little bit of a heightened arms race because it's two births. More teams feel like they're in it. I still don't see it matching last year, though, and there's not there's not nearly as many teams that are going to be going for it this year. So that might quell that a little bit, Mike, but there, there will be some names that emerge over the course of the season. When I look at Saginaw, I mean, one of the names that comes to my mind without any intel, of course, you look at Hunter Brustevich and Kitchener, a team that needs to re- recoup some picks and a bit of a rebuild year. Players like that would would look great on that Saginaw back end. They're, and as time goes on, too, other players are going to emerge uh, from some of the teams that have to sell this year. So I'm not too worried about some names being being put to market as the year goes on here. Uh, but it won't be it won't be a list like that, I don't think. No, I don't think you could ever match that again. And on the Hunter Brustevich score, just worth noting, early returns being what they are, but leading in defense scoring right now fifth in the league and one of three Kitchener Rangers in top five league scoring. Make that make sense early on in the season. Okay. We started this kind of segment about talking about the three-way trade with Nolan Lalonde and Benjamin Gaudreau changing addresses, which of course, both goaltenders you have identified early in this season that that is a position, Dan, that you've been quite enjoying the goaltenders. Yeah. And you know, this is more anecdotal than anything, Mike. I'm, I'm just, watching a lot of the games early in the season here uh in my humble opinion i feel like this is this is a an elite year for goaltending in this league it just looks like from a technical standpoint from an acrobatic entertainment standpoint whatever you want to measure it my eye test is telling me that there's an awful lot of goaltending talent in the league this year which is great to see because i know the knock on the ohl for a few years there um in the last five six years was that the goaltending wasn't quite matching the level of play and it was kind of letting the league down when it got to things like the memorial cup but what i'm seeing this year early returns there's an awful lot of great goaltending in this league and just uh some goalies standing on their heads and you can rhyme rhyme off quite a few names you look at that embarrassment of riches in ottawa with mckenzie and denoso you look at we we referenced uh ben godra moving that's a pretty talented goalie moving but you look at what ryerson leanders is doing in mississauga an under the radar guy that just leapt right out at me as nick sarzicha and sarnia what a terrific goaltender he is and he's basically made Godreau expendable he's he's brought that Sarnia team some hope 
a team that thought they were going to finish ninth or 10th in the conference is suddenly starting to say, Hey, maybe, maybe seventh or eighth are on the table based on, on what he's bringing to the table. So, and I could go on, there's just so many names. I'm just seeing an awful lot of high end goaltending this year, Mike. Yeah. Great point on Serzicha. I believe I'm saying that the way I'm supposed to, but uh, got to see him with a firsthand viewing as well. And very much made Godreau, I think, expendable for the Sarnia Sting because they've got their next guy already in line and in net. Michael Simpson was also a goaltender that changed addresses from the Peterborough Peets to the London Knights, the two teams that met in the OHL final last season. And were there any remnants from that OHL final? Because when the teams met for the only time this regular season in Peterborough, Max McHugh of the London Knights picks him up, picks himself up a three-game suspension. Now, I heard some reports that it was for the gestures he made following a scrum and also the attempted eye gouge within the scrum. But it's a three-game ban for Max McHugh. Yeah, you don't see that every day. Eh? And I, I don't know which one's the truth. I assume that if it had been for uh, gouging, that Galen Weston would have hired him by now. But no... <laughs> But no, I actually, I, I did see that scrum live and didn't notice anything <laughs> at the time. I noticed that tempers were flaring and I noticed McHugh was jawing a bit back and forth with Smith on Peterborough. And it looked like something had happened in the scrum that, that neither one of them were happy with, but McHugh looked like the one that was, was angry about what had taken place. So it, it, it was precipitated by a hit. Uh, it looked fairly run in the mill to me. And then we hear the suspension. So, so a little bit of an eye gouger or some, Cross the line words wouldn't surprise me. So I saw the hit as well, and I agree with you. It certainly wouldn't be the sort of hit uh, that would warrant, I think, much beyond a penalty in the game itself. However, if indeed the eye gouge report, and that's a tough one to really pick up, and it's not like the league says three games for eye gouging. In fact, the, the message was just the three-game suspension, and the reporting out of London was that it was for the gestures made if indeed there was an eye gouge i just want to give credit to the officials that were working that game because it's not an easy thing to pick up when you're trying to split up a scrum so kudos to those officials for being on the ball with that and having spoken to some of the guys on the peterborough side of this equation there were some gestures when McHugh got to the penalty box or out of the scrum and he was doing the whole diving thing in the direction of Colton Smith. And I just, so what I'm hearing is it's two for the eye gouge, I guess one per eye and another one for the hand gesture. I'm just going to add this to it. If you're getting additional games on a suspension because you do one of these to a fellow player suggesting that they dove, hockey has really got to get over itself. I want some personality back in this game. Let's let guys have a little bit of fun. Look, there are things, if it's a throat slash, I get you. I think we can think of some other vulgar hand gestures we could be making that certainly would be warranting further suspension. But if additional games were tacked on to Max McHugh's suspension because he suggested by way of hand gesture that Colton Smith was diving, Get over yourself, hockey. Let the guys have a little bit of personality here. Please, even if they're heels, we need some heels along with some personality in the game. I'm begging you, OHL. I'm begging you, hockey. Let's go. Now, I did see the diving gestures when he was in the penalty box. They were pretty uh, aggressive multiple times. So I, he really felt strongly that there had been a dive there. 
now i i'm with you on that like if the gestures are vulgar or there's some something along those lines where you don't want you know the kids in the audience seeing it, that kind of thing I, I don't know if it was interpreted as calling out the officials saying the officials you know you did a crappy job you missed the dive you maybe get one or two of those and then the officials say all right enough stop calling me out here but it looked to me like he was calling out the peterborough player more than the officials and and yeah to your point about the officials i uh, gotta make sure i get the crew right here i believe jason feast was there and he was uh, discussing with longtime veteran linesman Dustin McCrank, believe was there, and they so they these guys know what they're doing. They know how to take their time, discuss it, make sure they saw what they saw, and go through the process. So, given the the crew that was there, you got to believe that they're uh, <laughs> they had some reason to call that. <laughs> uh, Owen sounds James Petrovsky also had the book thrown at him this week, a five game suspension following a penalty midway through the third period of the attack's loss in Sudbury. And it sounds like this one is a textbook slur, if you will. And I don't want to think, I don't want to make it sound like uh, slurs are run of the mill and or, oh, ho-hum. It's, I'm fully on board with the five games here. It's just from the reporting I've picked up, something was said, you attach the five games to that, and that's the going rate for the slurs that we all can put our own thoughts to and understand. And I'm fully on board with the five games assessed for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no excuse anymore. These players know the line. I mean, you're, you're, they're not putting the kibosh on any kind of chirping that there's plenty that's said out there. Believe me, uh, there's a line and those players know what it is. They've been extremely clear with the players. There's all kinds of preseason training sessions. There's actually specific words. They tell them these will get you in trouble. So if you're dumb enough to use one, then if you do the crime, you do the time. I remember a very long time ago, like this is, gosh, it's got to be like, I'm talking 20 years, I guess, like really back to my early days in this league when this language was brought into the rule book and the associated penalties and and you could, and, and I, I hope I'm not running afoul of the league by just saying this on our podcast, but you could be assessed a suspension for calling a European player a euro and when that happened once to a european player who was on the receiving end of that he said i mean it, it doesn't really bother me and if i call that guy a canuck am i in trouble like it's it, it it's a really strange place or at least it was 20 years ago again i've heard some of the things that have been said in the modern day let's say the modern era fully on board with the five games but way back when euro canuck yank <laughs> i mean i don't anyway i'll just throw it out there for you yeah i remember at the time like that caught me by a surprise too because i didn't necessarily recognize that as derogatory it's kind of uh but but in over time i kind of get the point you, you know anything related to anyone's ethnicity or or identity in any way i mean let's not use that in a derogatory fashion so i, I suppose it's the way it was used more than what was used but uh but yeah the league's pretty clear with it that's why we're on the internet now i'm pretty sure we can say whatever the hell we want so safety here on the ohl podcast okay uh still to come a conversation about when it's okay or not okay to use your top power play unit plus some early season surprises yeah there have been a few so we still have that to talk about in this episode of the ohl podcast I do a little 
drive-by, as I'll call it, Dan, on some surprises for me. want to give a nod to uh, a few people, chief among them being Alan Latang, named head coach of the World Junior uh, team for Canada this year, and a chance to go back and defend his gold medal. He was an assistant a year ago. Yeah, congratulations to Alan Latang. Uh, trivia, the man who held the Owen Sound head coach job before Greg Walters. So yeah, and then moved on to Sarnia, of course, and got the gig from there, was an assistant, which is usually the stepping stone to head coach. So I mean, a lot of respect for, I mean, a ton of respect for Alatang, the player. Um, people forget what a dynamite player he was in this league, and then uh, morphed into the coaching uh, world. So best of luck to Alatang, quite an honor for him. Andy Brown, one of the real good guys in this league as well, the athletic therapist up in Owen Sound, will be returning as well. He brought his gold medal into the arena. I got a chance to see it. And again, like I said, I, I can't say enough about this guy. One of the real good guys in the game. So he'll go back on that training staff. Uh, Pavel Minchikov, whose name we've already mentioned, traded last year at the deadline, has his first NHL goal with the Anaheim Ducks. And how about we just take an extra moment on Matthew Poitra. I did not expect this guy to still be where he is. And that's with the Guelph Storm waiting for his return from the Boston Bruins system. Quatra is not only still with the big club, he's got his first NHL point, ninth youngest in Bruins franchise history to record it. Obviously, I think you'd know the youngest ever was Bobby Orr, but Matthew Quatra not looking out of place one little bit with the big bad Bruins. Yeah, so uh, first quickly, I'll say what a goal Pavel Minchikov's first was, by the way. That's a highlight reel. You don't have to exaggerate. Uh, in terms of Poitra, I'll just note that had you and I done predictions on who was going to win the OHL scoring title, he was going to be my guy. So um, I wouldn't necessarily have known at the time Boston was keeping him, so that might have sunk my prediction. But a uh, ton of skill there. Oodles of skill. And this is a guy who, when Guelph started slow last year, it looked like no one from Guelph was in the running for anything. And he just exploded through the back half of the year to get himself back into the race last year. So you're dealing with an awful lot of talent there. When you have a Boston Bruins roster that we know the retirements of Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci left a bit of a hole at center. They've got salary cap issues. You've got a guy on his ELC at league minimum playing center, could add some offense. Everything kind of checks out and makes sense. But wow, what a, what a thing for a 19-year-old to make that roster. He is coming back, though. He's going to get his nine games and come back to the O, right? I assume so. Everything I'm hearing around Boston is they've got to give it a little time. So the cap uh, mathematics work out for them to add another center at some point. Uh, there's going to be a few probably around uh, November and December that come available to them under the cap. But yeah, I would have to think so, Mike. All right. Uh, a few more of the drive-bys here. Just things that, again, I know it's still early and I've been repeating that every week since we started this season. But I'm a little bit surprised that the Brantford Bulldogs have just one win so far this season i'm maybe not quite as surprised when it comes to the windsor spitfires with just one win but the seven losses yikes this is the the worst start for windsor since 0405 when they also started one and seven and it's worth noting that their one this year was an overtime win so a really rough start for the team that really ran over the Western Conference the last couple of years. So I guess you have to pay the piper after two years of a run like that. And I will add in one more. I, you know, it was a, a sluggish maybe start to the season for the Saginaw Spirit, but they reel off three in a row and you figure, okay, this team's doing what you expect it to do. And then all of a sudden they come east for a road trip and they lose games in Oshawa and Mississauga. So back-to-back -back losses 
for the Memorial Cup hosts, a wee bit of a surprise for me. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all those surprises, Mike, just starting on the Saginaw point. I think you and I both recognize this isn't a perfect roster yet. There's going to be some construction needing to be done as this season progresses because as Memorial Cup hosts, they've got a little bit of work to do. So they've, it's not shocking that they're they're not rolling through the league yet, but I do expect some additions there. Yeah, the Shockers for me, uh, yeah, as you know, I, I was a little higher on Brantford than some te- teams coming into this season. I thought they had enough grit, size, and they're just going to be a pain in the butt to play. I still think that's going to be true over time. But the start has not been good. They're not scoring enough or preventing enough right now, frankly, which is pretty much the name of the game. Uh, you kind of nailed it with your predictions, Mike, with Windsor. You had Kitchener finishing ahead of them. I thought they had enough returning from a first-place team that they'd sneak into the playoffs. But, yeah, you've got to be really concerned with the efforts, I would say, you're getting there. There's not a lot of identity I'm seeing right there. They're, we know they'd be lacking scoring punch. Not preventing goals, not preventing chances, uh, not really outworking any of their opponents right now. So there's a lot of things that have to change before Windsor gets back on the map. Yeah, it's it's a long season and we're very early in it. So all of these things are subject to change. I don't expect the Kitchener Rangers to go five and two through every seven game stretch. And we haven't even touched on the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds who... I think I liked a little bit more than you coming into the season in the Western Conference, but I'm not sure I saw them where they currently are. And again, early returns, but fun to watch. And I'm sure they're loving it up there in the Sioux. Well, this is the thing about predictions, Mike. They're so hard to make because of how much coaching plays into it. And we we know that they've got a strong staff there with John Dean. They brought in Tyler Ertl, but they're obviously on a mission and you look at all the players that some of these markets, we talk about Windsor, we talk about Brantford, um, some of these teams that are struggling. One of the common themes in those teams is no one's really stepping up from, you know, had weaker years last year and stepping up and playing key roles. Look at the Sioux. You know, so you got you got several players, Allard, Cluche, Dintino. You, you look at a number of names there that are just cut, leaping off the map. You got Jack Beck healthy up there. Just a lot of players stepping up. So that's a testament to the culture they're building, the staff they've got, uh, everything. And those are kind of the wild cards, Mike, when you're trying to make predictions. I would add to that list of players stepping up in the absence of others, uh, Adrian Misseljevic and Kitchener at the risk of being a homer, but really impressed. I know he's 19 years old, but he is playing the game with almost a bit of a chip on his shoulder this season. And certainly he's full value for the points he's putting up so far. Yeah, that's an outstanding point, Mike, because if you want a poster boy this year for exactly what I was just talking about, it's got to be him. You take a player that was well off the radar of just about everyone, um, playing a fourth-line role in Kitchener last year, dealt with some injuries, put up, I believe, 11 points on the season, and he's got 14 already. So, like, that's the type of progression that you can't project. You can look at some guys and say, oh, they're going to they're gonna have a good step forward this year. But, I mean, pacing from 11 points to who knows what he's going to end up with, but this pace, well over a point a game. Those types of progressions are what make teams surprise. And uh, I think that's that's why Kitchener's surprising. That's why Sue's surprising. Okay, so here's something that I just happened to notice. It, it seemed kind of random, but it happened on back-to-back weekends. And I thought, well, this is interesting, and maybe it's a talking point for us here on the OHL podcast. So, I look, who was involved in the games and what? I, it, I don't know how much it matters, but... I was covering a game where, well, it doesn't matter. So the Rangers were in Saginaw and they were losing the game uh, six to one in the third period. And they took a penalty 
and Saginaw's top power play unit came over the boards. And then they scored. The Kitchener Rangers were trailing that game 7-2 to two later that same third period. And once again, the top power play unit for Saginaw came over the boards. A week later, the Rangers are the home ice team, and they're winning 5 nothing in the third period. And they get a five-on-three power play. And the top power play unit comes over the boards, scores to make it 6 nothing. The top power play unit stays out there, scores again. All of a sudden, it's 7 to nothing. I have dealt with this situation in the past, and I'll share my story about that. But because I've dealt with this in the past, I have arrived at this conclusion, Dan. It's your team. It's early in the season. And this is the biggest factor to me. Because I heard some squawking about this from hither and yon. But early in the season, you can only practice so much. You can only work against your own penalty killers so much. When you get real game opportunities, you take them and you use them to the best of your advantage. And I think that's what we saw on both Saginaw's and Kitchener's parts in weeks two and three of the season. Thoughts, though, on being up by five late and using your number one power play unit? Yeah, you're right. There's two schools of thought here. And I, I fall on the side of, I don't love it, Mike. I don't I, I don't love it for a number of reasons. Like, I always look at it from, from a few standpoints. One, I find it's a little bit of a stat padding time getting these garbage time goals with your power player kind of running up the tallies. The other thing is just pure sportsman. You don't want to embarrass the opponent. I get it early season. You want your power play working. You want to get these guys opportunities, but I also look at from the flip side too, if these teams are up a lot in the game because they're getting such good contributions from the third and fourth line. So here's a great opportunity to reward those kids, give them a little bit of power play time, spread it around. Um, I don't have a major problem with it either way. I don't love it. I wouldn't love to see those guys out there. I've been on both sides of that. I don't feel great about it either way. Uh, what I will say though, is if you do it, it's not a major foul. Let's not, let's not be uh be over the top here, it's, but you do have to deal with any potential consequences, which if it were me and I were coaching the other team, it would be okay. You remember what these guys did to us last time? There's bulletin board material. Now let's go. As long as you're willing to deal with that, no problem with it. hundred percent. And that'll tie into my story, which I'll get to in a moment. But to your point again, see for me this early in the season, look, I get you. Like give the give the kids the reps if you know your third and fourth line guys. But I think it's so important to get your studs, to get your thoroughbreds running in the right direction here, right? And and Don Cameron, who I admired greatly, and the legend in this Ontario Hockey League, always said that confidence is the difference between a dimple and a pimple. And if you get these guys feeling it, so Zane Parek in Saginaw and a host of others, Carson Rakoff in Kitchener. They start to feel it. I don't know how much they even pay attention to what the situation of the game is. They're out there on a power play. They start to feel it. That's a really good thing for your hockey club. So if you can do that in game three or game six or whatever the case may be, friggin' fill your boots, give these kids the confidence that you want them to have so that they're feeling it. So those pimples are now dimples and they're ready to go the next time they get that power play opportunity. Yeah. And that's not wrong either. I, I, I'm, you, you can make multiple arguments both ways. And I, I think they're all valid. Um, so it's really a coach's call. It's coach's decision, knowing that there's pros and cons to whichever, whichever one you choose to do. I mean, you could just as well argue that those bottom kids getting a couple reps early in the season might serve you later in the year if you have injuries or other things. So 
their first look on the power play isn't going to be in January. But I mean, no matter how you argue it, I don't think it's a major foul either way. I, I just think you have to be prepared to deal with the fallout, whichever way you'd go. And to your point on that fallout and teams remembering what happened, let me take you back. And this is going to be the third time we've referenced a former coach of the Owen Sound attack. Whoever becomes the new coach, by the way, will be the 17th in history after Greg Walters was uh, fired this week. But before Greg Walters and before Alan Latang, there was a gentleman by the name of Ryan McGill as the head coach of the Owen Sound attack. I'll take you back to the 2017 playoffs Rangers in Owen Sound and Kitchener is down six to one, seven to one, six or seven to one, forgive me, but in the third period of a playoff game and they take a penalty and out comes the number one power play unit for the Owen Sound attack and they score to increase the lead, ultimately winning the game nine to one. I didn't even really notice it in the game that I recall, but I do remember somebody asking me on Twitter, what did you think of the number one power play coming out when Owen Sound was up six or seven to one? And once people ask me questions, I give answers. And so I said, it was a dick move. (laughs) Now, this is me. This is many years ago. And I didn't even think for a second that, oh, yeah, that was posted on the Internet. People can see that. And let me tell you how that went for this guy. So because it's a playoff series, you're playing Owen Sound again two days later. And it started with Ray McKelvey, the late, my goodness, Ryan McGill, the late, Ray McKelvey, the late, just an absolute gem and somebody that I've always had a great relationship with. But. I got the what for from Ray McKelvey because he reminded me that I don't remember how many years ago, Steve Spott and Pete DeBoer with the Kitchener Rangers did this very thing to the Owen Sound attack. Now, remember, this is 2017. That's a good five, six years since Steve Spott was there. It's almost a decade since Pete DeBoer was there. But Ray McKelvey remembered and he wanted me to know that that had happened to the Owen Sound attack. So. There were some ripples. The season had opened. This playoff series had opened in Owen Sound. First two games there. Now we're coming back to Kitchener. And I have to then, after letting this simmer for about six days, go talk to Ryan McGill. And I got to I gotta make this right. So to his credit, he, he, he comes walking into the arena and I say, uh, hey, Ryan, can I, get a, can I get a minute with you? Uh, I got stuff to do, but I'll, I'll come out later. Okay. So we, we, and I, listen, I'll just be blunt about it. I was, I was crapping my pants. Ryan McGill is super pissed with me. And, and here's the thing. When I, when I responded to the tweet, I, I wasn't even like, I didn't call Ryan McGill a dick, but I get the way I phrased, you know, it's a dick move. Totally implied that wasn't my intention, but Ryan McGill had every right every right to be pissed with me and accuse me of calling him a dick 100% not what I meant not the way I thought about it in the response but totally understand how that response could be and should be construed the way that it was so Ryan and I have our chat and and the same he, he brought the same lines out with me that Ray McKelvey brought out well what about when I'm like Ryan listen sure I'm just talking about four nights ago six nights whatever it is 
I just want you to know, you know, I'm sorry for this. You, you, you coach your team, however you want to coach your team. So much like you said, there's my story to, to land at the same spot. You kind of did. Do, do I love it when a team brings out its top power play unit, when the game is well in hand? No. Would I do it? Probably not. But you know what? I'm not a coach. It's not up to me. And so you go right ahead and do it. But remember, absolutely, without question, the other team is going to remember it. And they might remember it for a decade or more. Who knows? Also, Ryan McGill, not a dick. And Ray McKelvey, an absolute gentleman in the Ontario Hockey League. <laughs> oh, absolutely right on both counts. But great, uh, great guys there. But uh, yeah, there's two things there. One, if you have an opinion, you're going to piss someone off. That's guaranteed on hockey. doesn't matter what you say. Someone's going to say, oh, you're a moron. But the other thing, too, is there's a couple strategies there when you reference the DeBoren spot. So there's there's two ways to go at things. You can see a hornet's nest and you can go the other way. Or you can poke it and say, you know, we might be able to to get an advantage here if we really rile them up in some way. And I some something tells me that's how Peter DeBoer was thinking at the time. Uh, maybe get their focus off off system play maybe get them emotional i i don't know but there could have been strategy involved there as well if you want to let us know what you think of number one power play units being used late in runaway games hey you're welcome to do so we love your feedback dan is on twitter at his name at dan mahar i'm at farwell underscore ohl or maybe the best way just shoot us an email uh, OHL podcast at rogers.com. Okay. One piece of business left to take care of, of course, Dan, and that is our prospect of the week. Let's hope we don't have the same guy. Who do you have this week? Sure. And if I could just take 10 seconds right off the top talking prospects to just give a quick shout out to the Vaughn Kings AAA U16 group that was in town for the Rangers Spitfires game yesterday. Whole lot of prospects you're going to see in the OHL next year from that team. They're a high, high end team. Uh, so I have a quick shout out to them and my prospect of the week, Mike, I'm going to a little off the radar, going to a right winger playing for Peterborough and that's Braden McCallum. And the reason I wanted to give him a shout out is I think Peterborough's a team that was looking for someone to step into a bit of a void and add goals for them. They had a little trouble scoring at times last year, lost some talent. So here you go. Braden McCallum for six games, five points plus three, adding that dimension. You talk about kids seizing their opportunity making a name for themselves and that's probably a role you're not going to see him relinquish anytime soon so that's a name that's probably just going to grow in popularity in this league so Braden McCallum's my guy Mike who you got excellent choice I'm not going anywhere off the radar I think this guy is probably the one that's going boop 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 for everybody right now after the weekend he had a three-game weekend held scoreless in game number one and then exploded for eight points over the next two games three goals and five assists Five points, uh, three and two in a big win over the Erie Otters. And this, of course, is Luke Misa of the Mississauga Steelheads. Uh, picked up three assists in a win over his brother's team, but Michael wasn't playing in that game for Saginaw. But a three-assist performance followed by a three-goal and two-assist performance, eight points over two games, and Luke Misa of the Mississauga Steelheads is my prospect of the week or the tail end of the weekend as the case may be so that's three weeks and luke's been a prospect twice because he was my week one guy and then of course i had leanders in week two so i had to go away from the steelheads mike i had to but uh great call there's you can't you can't argue that <laughs> well and and there's a team if we go back to the early season predictions that we made you had a lot of love for the mississauga steelheads and they're certainly earning that praise early on yeah i just looked at the mic and i know people thought they're maybe a year away because they're a bit young but I look at teams have three components, goaltending, defense, and forwards. And there's 
not really a weakness in Mississauga and all three of those components, you know, they're going to be competitive based on that. They got a terrific coach development system. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't see much way they were going to finish below the midline in the East. And it looks like maybe even better. All right. Uh, as we wrap things up, we always like to look ahead to our Friday feature interview and it will be with a guy. Oh, imagine this played for Stan Butler. Stan's name has come up on this podcast, of course, because he's now the head coach in Erie for the longest time. He was the head coach of the battalion franchise, both Brampton and then North Bay. This guy played for him in Brampton did something. I mean, in my advanced years, I think this is the best way to do it. Kind of got the sense, I think. He he knew that it wasn't going to be a pro career for him. So he used his education package. By pro, I mean the National Hockey League. So instead of toiling in the coast or in the AHL somewhere, he decided, I'm going to use my education package. Got his education and then took off to a beautiful 10-year career over in Europe. Kids, take it. I think that's one of the best ways to go. I know it must be hard if you're that kid. You're thinking... You know, got to make that next step. Anyway, now he's back in the coaching ranks and he's coaching university hockey right out of the region of Waterloo. This fella is he'll be our feature guest on uh, Friday's episode of the OHL podcast. Yeah, Mike, the stories are littered with the, uh, the OHL stories littered of guys that did that, took their education package, went to Europe, made a great living for a number of years. Some of whom stayed there, married, disposed from there, et cetera. So I'm really looking forward to this one. That guy over there is Dan Mahar on Twitter. At Dan Mahar, I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Be ready for our feature interview that comes out with your next episode of the OHL podcast on Friday. The podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.